0: Hey everyone, and welcome to the 74th edition of DF Direct Weekly. It is indeed our weekly show where we discuss the latest gaming and technology news. Much to discuss this week, uh, though we're going to be dominated by just one topic. And joining me to discuss it, Alex Battaglia. Oh, here I am drinking water.
1: Um, Yes, Rich, it's Spider-Man coming out on PC. Biggest news of the week by far. I've been burning the midnight (laughs) oil, Rich on this video
0: <laughs> I think we, well i have as well it's just been quite an interesting experience which i'm looking forward to discussing and uh of course john linderman
2: it's amazing seeing a game like spider-man cruising along at like 90 to 100 frames per second with <laughs> all those features like man it's just uh it, it looks really good on pc i gotta say so and alex your coverage is robust so <laughs> yeah we should probably get into that
0: absolutely so first news topic of the week is indeed uh, the fact that Spider-Man Remastered has arrived on PC. Um, wow, this has been quite an extended and torturous review process for a whole number of reasons. The good news is that the product that's come out at the end of it is, uh, is, is very, very good. Not quite perfect, but very, very good. Alex, where do we begin with this one? I, I mean, we received the code, what, mid last week? Uh, like, the end of the week before last uh, is the way I would put it. And
1: then, you know, uh, you receive the code and, uh, like, the review process uh, for PC games and console games, uh, it can uh, be really awesome at times. Like, for example, I think when John got, like, The Last of Us Part Two, it was, like, maybe a month ahead of time, I, f- I feel. And it was basically gold. And, you know, it was already, like, basically a perfect game in a lot of ways. Um, and here it, it came, in I would say, uh, a less than perfect state. And they already kind of said that uh, with the review documentation saying like, oh, Ryzen performance isn't good, uh, RT is not complete, DLSS is not complete. Uh, And all those things kind of uh, precluded the ability to cover it in a DF fashion because we knew there was patches coming and you wanted to show off the game as it would be when people play it. So it slowed down the review process for sure. Uh, There was still a lot of testing done during that time and I still made recordings, but Let's just say I threw them all out (laughs) Uh, for the most part there. Uh, So that's what made it hard. The game kept getting updated uh, during the review process uh, with uh, sometimes extreme changes uh, towards the settings and or what the settings do and or certain performance things, uh, which, you know, if you want the the video in the end to be representative of what people are playing uh, and whatever the developers made to, uh, then you have to kind of do the diligence and redo the work. Maybe you it's, it's annoying but i did it um but you the, pulled like the, an all-nighter
2: like, on this one huh alex i mean it was yeah i did I it required uh, some serious say, work
1: <laughs> let's just say like uh when the i knew the patch was going to be coming ahead of time we did get um heads up uh through pr about it but wednesday the day of the embargo uh, like a couple hours before the embargo patch drops which uh I can talk about basically a little bit what makes uh, Spider-Man on PC interesting and why this patch that just came out before launch was so important to cover. Um, Open world games with, uh, well, just open world games in general and games that are open world with ray tracing are heavy on the CPU, uh, doubly so with ray tracing. And that is because in the background, there has to be a structure built on the CPU and GPU, both of them, it needs maintenance on the GPU and CPU. And you know, This structure for the BVH and then all the crowds and traffic and level of detail stuff, well, that's really heavy on the CPU. And originally, before the Wednesday patch, all of the ray tracing and all of the LOD options were in monolithic options in the menu. There was just two. There was a ray tracing toggle uh, with uh, just like presets of like medium, high, very high, and then... Uh, like LOD controlled crowds, it controlled traffic, and it controlled the way objects render into the distance. It was just like way too much into one option. So if you had a PC, for example, with like a weaker CPU, but a really good GPU, you really couldn't find a good middle ground experience there with the settings that were provided. And this was one of the critiques uh, that I provided back to Nixie's Uh, and I think they did change it partially as a result of uh, our feedback given these options Uh, so that's why i really want to make sure that was included in the coverage and it made the game a lot better as a result Um, you have a lot more control over how ray tracing looks uh, in terms of like resolution the quality of the objects in it and how far these objects are rendered into the distance and so if you have a mid-range pc I think you can get a much better experience now than you could uh, in the game way it was before launch. And then there's all these other changes in there with DLSS. Uh, but, you know, long story short regarding uh, the Spider-Man PC port is that it is uh, coming out, like Rich said, in a imperfect state, but it's pretty good. Um, the imperfect aspect is a really confusing one. and I probably want your commentary on the Switch as well, too, Rich, is just... I don't think we've really ever seen it before where the lower end your GPU is, even if you have like a perfect CPU, you just get like erratic frame times when moving around the city, but this doesn't manifest as much and then not at all, the higher your GPU gets, right?
0: Yeah. I think we should probably rewind just a little bit because, um, before the Wednesday patch, there was the Monday patch, right? And then before the Monday patch, there was the patch that I think added in hair quality preset support. That might have been. But regardless, there was a patch also that made it work on Steam Deck because the initial one didn't work. But anyway, um, we we kind of reached the point, I think, at the beginning of the week where uh, we thought, right, okay, let's let's start getting some performance numbers. And we knew this project was going to be big, so I decided to take that on predominantly because I've got more GPUs than Alex. And um, I think we really uh, wanted to test out how the older GPUs are holding up, specifically the GTX 1060 and the RX 580, which are still the most popular GPUs from AMD and NVIDIA based on the Steam Hardware Survey. So um, those GPUs are also recommended for 1080p60 gaming by, um, by Nixus and Insomniac. So, you know, basically, right, OK, I, I bought a new 1060 because uh, you might remember from our Marvel's Avengers coverage that <laughs> I dropped my 1060 and it didn't work anymore. Um, so I got a new uh, 1060 in. <laughs> Um, And, um, yeah, essentially, I was running like a 10900K and uh, there were some severe frame time issues and stuttering issues that made 60 FPS essentially impossible. And it could drop down. I mean, you know, I I couldn't believe the results. And so, Alex, you tested the 1060 with a 12900K and you were still getting and you were still getting into like 40 FPS territory um which which obviously is an issue so you know i logged it with nixis and uh, i noted the issue was there also on the rx 580 but not quite as bad because the performance level generally on the 580 is higher and um they came back and said that there's um a really um uh aggressive occlusion culling system on the insomniac engine which is great for performance but you know when new detail hoves into view it can cause a spike in in draw calls and okay fair enough but it didn't explain the behavior with these lower end gpus because you know typically when you get a spike in draw calls you expect that to be a cpu limitation right um but you know Twelve nine hundred k with a ten sixty was was pretty disastrous, so yeah, I think the occlusion thing is is an issue and remains an issue. The frame times that were uh, identified as a GPU problem appear to have, well they have been smoothed out significantly, but we're still not really in perfect territory there. It still needs some improvement. So we couldn't really run performance tests based on the Monday patch because we knew, you know, it was logged. We knew um, that Nixis were working on it. And indeed, on the embargo day, the new patch came out that did improve um, performance, but it's still not quite where it should be. So this has been a really difficult situation um, for a number of reasons, because This game came in hot. Ideally, you know, the developer would have had an extra couple of weeks based on what we saw and the issues that were cleared up in the last few days. But it's still not quite there. And so I do think the game required a little bit of extra time. But the core fundamentals were there from, you know, if you've got a really powerful PC, I mean, I played on 5950X with a RTX 3090. It was a pretty awesome experience right from the moment the the game dropped, right? And I think even if you had like a twenty sixty super or twenty seventy or thirty sixty, that class of card, and a decent CPU, you'd have had you know it's been happy days from day one. But you know, the more permutations we tested, the more issues we found. And also, um, I think you noted Alex that there were some bugs in the raid facing that needed addressing. Like um, screen space information was missing.
1: Yeah. So like, if you did use footage, for example, from the not most recent patch as of Monday in coverage of this, you would see a lot of issues with the ray tracing. One, it was like completely different. (laughs) Like the menu options, just like at one point, like the medium ray tracing was like one eighth res without any denoising. It was like the options were in complete flux. So yeah, like ray tracing uh, before Monday uh, didn't even have screen space information in it. Uh, A lot of objects were missing uh, or had the wrong colored texture and things like that. Um, And a number of things that I would say like 95% of them are now gone with the the most recent uh, patch that came out on Wednesday and Monday. So um, as I see it right now, I think this is a really great uh, port in general. I love the options menu, for example. Um, But one thing that is a little bit of a downer in it is uh, that issue that Rich was just talking about with the lower end GPU frame time issue. And then also uh, a bit of the CPU performance uh, in general, where it it does make sense that a game that would be coming to PC would uh, require a higher end CPU due to the fact that the API layer is a bit heavier. Um, And, you know, there's some other aspects in there too. But it does seem at times a little bit heavier than I imagined it would be, um, namely based upon other open world uh, games that have ray tracing in them. Like I'm thinking about Watch Dogs Legion a little bit or um, kind of uh, cyberpunk where it does work in those games to a certain degree, but I don't know if it's as heavy as it is here. Um, And this game also has a lot less ray tracing uh, than something like cyberpunk. So I think still in the back end, like Rich is saying, there may be a couple more weeks. I do think they're probably going to address this GPU times issue and also the heaviness of how this is on the CPU over time, because, you know, in our conference, we had an interview with them, which is really cool. And I hope it comes out on the website soon enough uh, on Eurogamer. Uh, But we talked about like CPU stuff. We talked about how they do ray tracing. They they talked a lot and really honestly about the PC porting effort. Uh, So definitely check that out when it comes Mm -hmm.
0: out. Yeah, really interesting stuff. But essentially, I think um, part of the problem um, for coverage in general was essentially that if everybody went live with videos on embargo day, they were going to be running a version of the game or showing a version of the game <laughs> that specifically with raid facing isn't representative of the final product. And, you know, obviously there are a big bunch of comparison videos that came out. This is the high-end PC experience. It's not, it's not, We. you know, so we basically decided for whatever reasons to hold fire until we could actually show you the game as you would play it. On day one, and I think, yeah, yeah, you know, I think we've we've done that. Um, I guess my only concern is I'm about to embark on more performance testing, you know, based on day one code, but that could change, you know, within days if they isolate well. this issue. <laughs>
2: Well, well, true. I mean, now that it's out there for the public to to purchase, I think it's fair game. Yeah, absolutely, it's, yeah, it's like fair game mm-hmm. now.
0: Yeah, at that point, yeah. Uh, so, Alex, I'm I I'm curious so about your interview with Nixis. I mean, this happened on the Monday yeah, sure. where the new patch dropped, and um, <laughs> I'm curious about some of the things you were talking about in terms of how they adapted um, what is you know a PlayStation exclusive to the metal uh, for PC, which, which was running on a completely different API.
1: Yeah. So that is the interesting part of this where, uh, some, some developers maintain a really great PC version along the side and here, you know, it wasn't as bad as I would say, God of war, where it was like God of war, they had like, just like like it can render like a box, maybe, and that was about if you remember. If you recall I, I recall in that interview. They were um, really
0: happy with the box, <laughs> but it, yeah, they were really happy with a, the box for a sort of stage one uh, to to get something <laughs> rendering. So, yeah.
1: So here, there's like an in between ground. They did have like, actually, I believe it was, um, if I recall, DX eleven uh, editor tools. If I'm not mistaken. Okay. Um, so they could edit, they could edit the game on PC and see visual rendering and all that stuff, which is the whole point of it. Uh, but there was no DX12 uh, that was really uh, there at all for a game, and obviously no DXR as a result of that too. So the ray tracing wouldn't have been in. And the beginning of the project was essentially months, which is really I can't even imagine how frustrating it must be. Months of just the game rendering on PC only as a black screen under DX12. Uh, so. <laughs> Uh, that's how it started off. Uh, and then there was, a an extreme effort, I would say, uh, to bring over a lot of the, the streaming code, uh, making sure it's properly multi-threaded changing the ray tracing it. Uh, so on console, it uses something like that's the equivalent of like DXR 1.1 inline tracing, which is more beneficial towards AMD GPUs, uh, because from where it casts, like, that ray, that ray query, it, that's what it's called under Vulkan. I always forget what it's called under uh, DXR. But uh, they they actually changed that uh, to use, like, a more DXR 1.0 style, which uh, is better on, like, NVIDIA and Intel chips typically. Uh, and as well, you know, they had to make sure that, like, uh, shader compilation was working correctly, uh, which uh, we also talked very... Um, frankly, about the state of shader compilation on PC in general. And they all had very awesome opinions about that, very specific opinions as well, too, which is great to hear from developers, uh, from people who literally have to deal with this issue every day. Um, and I think the generic just there, they're not very happy with the situation,
0: just to spoil right, it. But they are dealing um, with it, <laughs> which is the good news. They are
1: dealing with it. Yeah, you know, Nixie's ports ever since Deus Ex Mankind Divided uh, I think that's after that game, that's when they really had like a good DX 12 understanding. Like I think shadow of the tomb Raider was one of the first DX 12 games we ever saw that had like remarkably better performance under DX 12, mm. oh, yeah. uh, if I recall. So, you know, they had a good understanding of these things. Uh, you know, I sat down in the room with four people uh, of people with va- a variety of different disciplines and just hearing the stories of behind the scenes about how much actual work had to make to make this game a PC game. Like a PC game isn't just supporting 16 by nine at 30 and or 60 FPS. It's like variable frame rate. Multiple aspect ratios, uh, has to work on a hard drive and an SSD, it has to do all these things that a, uh, a console game wouldn't have to do, and they were never thought of in the first time. So, a lot of the stuff going into this PC version, from what I could understand in this interview, is actually just like a ton of work that Nixus had to
2: do manually. Wait, wait, work. wait. Did, did you guys test this on the mechanical hard drive? <laughs> I no. have not tested I, it on the mechanical actually, hard I'm drive. I'm curious about that
1: but but you know the thing is they said they they literally do try and make sure it works on even things below the minimum spec um they do they did say that in the conversation so the minimum spec says something but technically if you really wanted to you could probably run this on something like a q6600 i I I don't know
2: like i guess the idea there is that the minimum spec provides them like the support minimum where it's like if you're under this it's like use at your own risk
1: yeah, it's most definitely something they cannot guarantee looks fine at all. Exactly. Um, you know, and part of this, uh, you know, was uh, getting the game running on Steam Deck as well, which has its own platform constraints and uh, was also part of the push for them to have different settings. Uh, so, you know, you would imagine like a low and a very low and a medium and a high in a game, but they also purposely put in things that are like very low. Potato. Uh, for potential, you know, potato level for the Steam Deck. Uh <laughs> Uh, but you don't have to run that the Steam Deck at that, you know. But those are things that they wanted to put in for people that are running the Steam Deck if they want to have more choice than just low. Uh, so they they really did put a lot of care and effort to this, and it really just kind of, how do you say that, radiated throughout this
0: entire one-hour-long conversation mm-hmm. I had with them. Yeah, I'm just looking at the uh, recommended specs or rather the minimum specs. It's GTX 950 with an i3-4160. It's a dual-core uh, CPU. That's for 720p 30. Uh, which is quite interesting because you can do 720p 30 on steam deck um with mm-hmm. you know high settings if you use dynamic resolution scaling medium if you don't so you know there, there is a great deal of scalability in there i've been looking at, at it on steam deck and essentially i discovered in the city swimming uh, swinging <laughs> of the swimming swimming. Uh, swimming would be good <laughs> wouldn't it uh in the uh, swinging through the city which is kind of like a big stress test for cpu and gpu um there's a good, you know, eighty percent of extra performance unlocked by moving from very high to very low. So that scalability has paid off, which I think is is great. And I think just generally, it's really nice to see uh, uh, the game running rather well on Steam Deck. Um, there are uh, streaming CPU-based limitations, as you would expect from, you know, a quad-core CPU cluster that's basically got very very little power to work with. <laughs> So you, you've really got to use a 30 FPS cap. Um, you know, people can't seem to accept that you can't run this at 40. You you can't not consistently, um, but that's the way it is. But yeah, I mean, there is scalability there. It does look great. I'm really happy with the way the ports come out. Um, I was a bit alarmed that the number one GPU on the, according to the Steam Hardware Survey, wasn't providing a good experience and you still can't get 60 FPS with that, even with a super high-end CPU. So there is work to do there.
1: Yeah, th- this is a bit of a, so my kind of litmus test, if that's the proper phraseology with uh, console ports tends to be, can you get 60 FPS on it on a 1060 uh, at settings close to a PS4 uh, and basically doubling the frame rate of a PS4? Because that's what you would expect uh, a lot of the time. And if not, then, then the RX 580. Uh, And this here out of the box, kind of like um, Horizon Zero Dawn, also isn't doing that, but for different reasons. Here it's that it's really that (laughs) erratic frame time issue. Um, So I think they really, I think once they clear that up, though, we'll, we'll start seeing... Um, GPU performance on that lower, and that scales more like we're used to seeing, especially with dynamic resolution scaling enabled, because uh, you know the consoles are using that as well, too. Uh, one thing I just want to touch on before uh, we go is, like as a part of these ray tracing settings uh, that they added in, uh, they, they, they really did make sure that they increased the quality of ray tracing on PC, because the game was designed around PlayStation 5 constraints, uh, and you know it's uh, good-looking ray tracing on a console game, but like you, as soon as you blow that up to like native four K sixty, and you're like walking around, you're like, oh, you can see the compromises. And I've got all this GPU power. What do we do with it? Well, Mixies were, thankfully, and as Insomniac helped out here too, apparently. They really wanted to make sure uh, that if you have a bigger GPU, the game does scale in some ways quite dramatically higher uh, than what you can find on console. So I was, I'm really grateful for that uh, because sometimes you see like a port to PC and it's just like, it's just like the console settings with like some slightly better shadows. But here there are actually significant differences uh, in there.
0: Yeah, I think um, this was something else we pointed out, right? There was uh, an issue with crowd density with uh, on the very high setting where actually Looks better on PS5, but that's not the case on the final code. But just generally, it's just the concept that um, you're getting a really good ray tracing experience day one, but you know, people are still going to be playing this game 10 years from now where the ray tracing performance on the GPU is going to be off the charts based by today's standards. So, why not build in that level of scalability? Why not make everything um, it, the best it can be within the constraints of that engine? And they pushed for that. Um, it arrived kind of a bit late, but it's there and it looks awesome. And um, yeah, just generally, it's it's just really nice to see a re- another really good port from Sony. The other thing which I think is worth um, highlighting, uh, which you're going to be looking at next, I believe, is um, really solid support for upscaling. Uh, FSR 2.0, uh, the Insomniac solution, which we've been amazed by for, for a long time now, is in there in on PC. Ready for your <laughs> for your zooming antics, Alex. Uh, I can't wait to see that and DLSS and support for all of those with dynamic resolution scaling.
1: Yeah, Nixie's semi pioneered doing this in their work on oh, I forget the name of this Marvel's Avengers, right? Um, so that, that game had DLSS plus uh, anti uh, plus DRS on PC, which was really cool. We didn't end up covering that, unfortunately. Um, but here, this time around, uh, seeing all these arrayed right next to the next to each other, FSR 2.0 DLSS and the Insomniac Games uh, solution, I haven't done nearly enough testing to say like some f- anything really final about it. But there's some very interesting different behavior here uh, between them all in, in terms of like the resolve and sometimes you know just like once again, just like DLSS surprises me uh, at the stuff it can do. Like that's one of the things I noticed like in the review process it. It was a bit of a shame because DLSS wasn't working initially (laughs) with the first couple patches. Like, it was pretty broken uh, when you would turn it on. So, I I mean, I'm going to be covering that. You're going to like the video. It's not going to maybe go as far as something as God of War because we've already done these type of comparisons before. It's more about getting, like, a general idea about it. Um, But, yeah, you know, because, like... There's only so many times you can hammer a point
0: home. uh, You say that, (laughs) though, but I do think the Insomniac versus FSR 2.0 comparison is going to be intriguing because the Insomniac solution was designed for PlayStation 4, PlayStation 4 Pro, right? It's going to be a very low weight. um, I, I, I use the word cheap, cheap, not as in bad, but as in computationally light solution that produced phenomenal results. Whereas its direct counterpart in the PC space is right there, FSR 2.0, but this is considerably heavier, ter- I would suspect, uh, in terms of its uh, computational requirement. So to actually see, you know, it may well be the case with dynamic resolution scaling that you're going to have to have a lower resolution with FSR 2.0 just to accommodate the milliseconds of com- computational time extra that FSR 2.0 requires, really interesting.
1: That is interesting, like there's this overhead for DLSS and FSR 2.0, which um, can change can tip the balance a little bit in, in the way you're describing there. And as a part of this video, um, I'm going to do like the the very raw, what I consider the ultimate comparison of like performance mode versus all one another, which is like the hardest thing to do in upscaling. you know, four times upscale. Uh, But one thing I also want to do also is a couple tests of where their performance equals, where you have a a GPU that is not capable of hitting a sustained, let's say, 4K60 normally, but it can do that with DLSS, uh, uh, the Insomniac Games, and FSR 2.0, but they're just left to free float in terms of dynamic resolution scaling. So we can see essentially what is the best that each solution can do uh, there in terms of like internal res and the output res. And I think that's going to produce very interesting results.
0: Yeah. Again, I think that's going to be really interesting to see the Insomniac solution because it wasn't designed to do or X resolution scaling. It was kind of like from 1440p to 4k. Uh, so it might, you know, there may well be interesting cost versus quality comparisons there. Oh yeah. Hmm. Um, Yes, so lots still to come on Spider-Man PC. It's it's a hot topic for sure. Uh, but let's move on to our next topic. Not so much a news topic, just a really interesting mod that turned up, uh, which John pointed out to me earlier in the week. Uh, Boneworks is one of the most impressive virtual reality games out there. And there's a mod that essentially transforms it into a kind of uh, Metal Gear Solid PS1 hybrid. Looks quite compelling, right, John?
2: Yeah, so... Um essentially they have created this mod to mimic the original look and design of metal gear solid one on PlayStation so you know unfiltered textures and that sort of thing but it's certainly a step up from that in terms of like some of the asset quality uh like for the weapons but yeah it's essentially building upon the framework of boneworks to recreate aspects of Metal Gear Solid completely in VR and I haven't actually tried it yet. And that's something I want to load up when I finish my current very large project. But the thing I love, it, it, it reminds me what I love about Boneworks in general is this: the way they convey like the, the movement of everything because it has that full body experience. So like your weapons and everything are physicalized objects. They're attached on your torso and you actually need to grip them with the controller to, to keep them in your hand, right? If you let off the grip, you just drop it on the floor. Uh, you know, if you, if you pull out your, your pistol, put a silencer on it, you actually need to, you know, physically manipulate the weapon to use it, right? It's not, <clears throat> it's not just glued to your hand. You're not just pulling a trigger. It's, you actually need to manipulate it, which is cool, I think. And, you know, just seeing old school pixelated unfiltered textures and low poly objects done in VR. It's, it's an enjoyable thing, uh, because your eyes don't try to perceive it as something real so in a way it ends up feeling almost more immersive you know it's 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 a weird thing but uh yeah i would like to try it and see how far along it actually is i mean it does not seem to recreate the cinematics of the game obviously it's just pure gameplay based but uh it looks
0: good it does look good i'm watching the footage now and i'm kind of reminded that whenever a good remaster comes out it tends to highlight the quality of the original artwork and the artistic direction that you know and that holds up you know despite higher resolutions and whatnot and i'm looking at this and it it, it looks good you know despite the fact that it is you know clearly drawing upon the playstation one aesthetic just goes to show that you know uh, class is uh, is permanent
2: that's actually something really interesting because this week for my other project that i've been working on i've been playing around more with duck station on the pc which people have raved about for a long time and it's really interesting looking at some of the games through that emulator with the enhancements that it offers such as you know it corrects the texture warping issue uh you can super sample uh or down sample i guess from very high resolutions and retain the original pixel grid styling of the ps1 but it really shows how strong a lot of the art direction and model quality actually was during that era and that it was kind of just spoiled by limitations of the hardware when you remove the issues it's like wow this is a beautiful game uh, and it really gives you like a newfound respect for it like something like Rage Racer especially I was playing that and just like completely shocked by how good it actually looks uh through Duck Station And that's the kind of feeling you get when you see this Metal Gear Solid stuff done in VR, where it's very boxy, low-res textures, pixelated, but it has like a real sense of style to it that holds up very well.
0: Mm -hmm. I'll tell you what, John, I would really like to see a Metal Gear Solid DF Retro, which would also encompass, of course, uh, the Twin Snakes remake.
2: Oh, yeah, that that is something I want want to tackle. Uh, That's a good idea. Mm -hmm. I would like to do that.
1: That's a big one because, like, uh, I I feel like John could do that really well because the lead-up to Metal Gear Solid is Metal Gear, and you have these, like, characters in this universe and a 2D plane, and all of a sudden it's brought into 3D, and like Rich was saying, like, the art style and the art in Metal Gear Solid, the first game, is just, like, impeccable. It's incredible looking. It's timeless. Uh, uh, It just looks so good Uh, in spite of all the limitations of the hardware, and... That's the one thing that actually interested me about this is that it's not going to be using MGS One mechanics, uh, but I think the very general idea of taking the Metal Gear Solid like rules of engagement and applying them into a more VR immersive simish style kind of environment is just like perfect because Metal Gear Solid 5 tried to do that to a degree given the limitations of the hardware and all the things for that time uh, and the limitations of third-person perspective of course but this is kind of what I'm imagining that is like just in the VR stage where you can like experiment with the environment experiment with the guards do really funny sneaking tactics uh, because I imagine that we'll have all that yeah
2: that's kind of what separates metal gear from a lot of other games and that it's very systems driven you know and you have all these tools handed to you and then the ai is specifically designed to be fun to play with right like it's not meant to be the most challenging ai it's the kind of ai where just toying with them and testing your limits uh is fun in and of itself and i think that is is kind of something i want to see more of and yeah it's perfect for the vr space because you have that additional awareness around you and yeah
0: Mm -hmm. yeah i mean there's still the specter of course of psvr2 just around the corner Mm. i'm really hoping that we see a kind of reboot of 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 vr and vr development and um, but i do think there's a place for taking older games and reworking them in vr i mean this just looks really really compelling
2: the thing, the thing about VR right now that's kind of a shame is since Half-Life Alyx uh, meta has uh, had a lot of success with the quest, which has turned out to be a bad thing because the being less less capable for one thing, and it's tough to make money on large budget VR games, the, the platform's been flooded with basically VR shovelware, right? And just the quality of the experiences that are out there has been kind of reduced. And it feels like it's just not being taken seriously anymore. And it's almost turned into I don't get mad at me for saying this, but it, it feels more like the mobile game space. <laughs> uh, you know, not that there's not good stuff in the mobile space. there There is. Uh, but yeah, VR is not doing great right now. And I feel like PS VR is the one hope we have of sort of pushing higher end experiences again. Because, you know, PS5 being more capable hardware, it would suggest that PC versions of those games and PC like experiences would also need to target uh, PCs again instead of the Quest. So even though the freedom of the Quest is great, it hasn't been great for development.
0: Right. I think that the development has just skewed in a very different direction. There have been some really great Quest games, but you're right. Um, if you look at Half Life Alyx as a kind of watermark, you know, a benchmark, so to speak. Of you know that sort of set the agenda for the new phase of VR games. That phase never happened. Uh, you've got you've got Alex and that's it really. And um, yeah, fingers crossed that PSVR two will kind of rekindle that. And uh, of course, as we'll say it again, we'll port beg once again. Alex on PSVR two, please.
2: That would. I mean, <laughs> I've played it, but I think there's a lot of people that have not. And Absolutely. That is- they, oh, it's oh, yeah. oh. it would be amazing to put oh. out there. <laughs> it's so good. You you guys have played it, right? I mean, yeah, it's
1: it's a freaking incredible game. Uh, I also think one of my favorite things about I hope we're not di- diverging so much from the topic, but just like they maintained like the art style that Half Life Two established, but yeah. like hyper detailed. And exactly. I find that impressive. That wasn't definitely had was not easy to do, uh, but they managed it flawlessly.
2: their their lighting solution very baked very static but oh so beautiful just Mm -hmm. just a great looking game absolutely
0: okay so let's move on to our final news topic very very quick um just following up on some of the stuff we've been discussing in the past obviously on the cusp of a new wave of uh, graphics hardware coming there have been some quite alarming um, power consumption or tdps uh, mooted you know 450 watts upwards. And it looks like there were going to be some increases in power consumption for lower-end cards as well. Um, New rumour, but it is from a good source. It's Copite 7 Kimmy, is usually pretty bang on with the stuff that he reports. is saying that the RTX 4080 drops down to 320 watts. uh, 4070, 285 watts. 320 watts is high, but it's the same as the 3080. Um, Off the top of my head, I I guess I could Google it, but I do not know what the 37 TDP is. But yeah, fundamentally, the key issue here is that, um, well, (laughs) the cost of electricity, I'm looking at maybe a three times increase when I renew my fixed rate, possibly higher than that even um oh my gosh oh my gosh yeah um and so the <sighs> concept of your um gpu drawing so much more power you know over your know, cost of play over a year is going to be significantly higher i just did that google by the way the uh, 3070 was 290 watts so the 4070 is slightly lower uh, according to this Not bad. yeah um so, yeah, this is this is a move in the right direction. I guess my question for you, Alex, is is can we do more? Because the thing here is that, you know, essentially you're looking at your GPU. The, the, the TDP is typically your GPU running flat out at all times. I think there's I mean, Radeon has Radeon Chill, which essentially lowers power consumption. I think it's essentially bringing you to the sweet spot in terms of um, in terms what of what the chip is capable yeah, of and versus yeah. power consumption. But there are things that gamers can do, right? Number one, set a frame rate limit. Any other stuff? Always. Uh, well, yes, Lower uh, settings.
1: <laughs> set a frame rate limit, use DLSS and or TAAU and or FSR 2.0 to reduce the cost of rendering uh, more pixels. Also, uh, take a look into uh, so like Radeon Chill's good. But I don't know how it compares to undervolting, uh, for example, uh, which is something that is very common on, uh, especially, Ampere cards these days, where the default voltage is essentially to make the card competitive uh, for uh, marketing and uh, performance purposes. You know, like you'll definitely get the better performance there, but it also is probably be it is beyond the tipping point of what. It could be for the most efficient hardware usage uh, in terms of uh, how much power is put into the card for the frame rate uh, given back to it. Uh, the, the thing about FPS caps though, I think is really important because I just, I read more than enough forum posts and enough steam posts to realize that I think a lot of people just play completely uncapped on like FreeSync, G-Sync screens, which I I personally think would probably look rather terrible Um, because, uh, like you look at the sky, it's like 140 FPS and you look back at the, 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 you know, like the horizon line and you're at 70, like, that's like a real thing that actually happens (laughs) if you're using any settings above medium in a game. Uh, so I don't think that looks good anyways. And honestly, I think if you are playing on a high refresh rate monitor and you want the VRR experience, For a single-player game, I'm not talking about competitive multiplayer CSGO, 300 FPS, we play on potato settings. I don't cover that kind of stuff. But I'm talking about like a single-player or a game that you actually want to have, enjoy the experience and have it look good. I kind of want to say the max FPS you should set should be around 100 almost. Like the dividends above 100, I can see them for sure. Um, But for a single-player game, I kind of feel like that's where you'd want to go. What do you guys think?
0: I think the concept of um, how you deploy power needs to be changed. We need to change our perception of it because, um, well, let's let's turn this around and look at CPUs, right? I mean, there's a lot of uh, a lot of heat, literally, (laughs) uh, leveled at like you know twelve nine hundred k. Because you know, if you run an HEVC encode for half an hour, you're drawing like two hundred and fifty watts or whatever. Uh,
2: yeah, Rich, this this job has cost raised our energy bills. Yeah, <laughs> but, but, the, but the point
0: is that uh, when you're gaming, you know your defining limit on performance is usually the C, uh, the GPU. So your CPU is going underutilized for the most part. But you you buy your your higher end CPU not for its flat out performance, but you want the performance when it's required, right? when that scene is really complicated you're going to get massive stutters on your um you know older you know 6700k or something and you'll get a vastly smoother and improved experience from your you know 5950 or or uh, 12900k right um so you're basically paying for um much better performance when the action is at its hottest and really when you want the 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 smoothest performance so you've kind of got to apply that mentality i think to gpus as well where you yeah where you set um you set a level where you'd like your you know your your sweet spot your most consistent performance i agree with you alex it's kind of around 90 to 100 fps in my view um 120 on a on a you know, non-VRR screen is pretty awesome. But if you've got VRR, you can hover between, you know, 100 to 120 and it still looks pretty awesome. So I think it's just a case of how that power is deployed, which will result in lower power bills. Maybe we should just do a uh, a video on this to actually illustrate the the point, And also to put into perspective that, you know, your 240 watt flat out CPU is, isn't gonna be running at 40 uh, 240 watts when you're, You know when you're playing Marvel Spider-Man or whatever. So yeah, it's a case of putting it into perspective, I think. But yeah, really interesting stuff, and it is good that you know potentially the 4070 and 4080 will be a bit more restrained.
2: If you if you really want efficiency, if you want to play at 75 frames per second for dozens of hours (laughs) on a single AA battery, the Wonder Swan, that's what it does. 75 frames per second over 20 hours one double a battery right here that's one double a one double a battery like how how efficient is that it has a 75 hertz display it does
1: (laughs) (laughs) which is bizarre i had a conversation with john about this i'd never even heard of that
2: ever it's It's amazing amazing. yeah it's super smooth (laughs) wow
0: very very nice uh but that's the end of our news topics for this week uh, going to be talking, well, it's usually our content discussion section, but we're going just gonna be uh talking about a couple of other random things that we need to discuss. Um Digitalboundary.net, it is the site for our Patreon supporters, right? Um it's where you can go to access all of those high-quality video downloads. Um, but it hasn't historically been very well integrated with Patreon. So you know, if you go to Patreon, you get a big bunch of bonus materials and tons of other great stuff, early access, all of this stuff, which we could never show on digitalfoundry.net. Um, so digitalfoundry.net is getting an upgrade. It should be live hopefully next week. Um, and what it's going to do is essentially plumb in directly with Patreon. And uh, you know, if you're a premium supporter, you'll be able to see all of that premium supporter exclusive content. You'll have the early access flag right in front of you without having to go to Patreon to see the post. Um, And also, I think what's quite exciting about this is that we've been doing the enhanced DF Supporter program for like, you know, 18 months now, um, close to that. So there's actually a big bank of exclusive content that's built up over that period that we've never released publicly. And, you know, again, you don't really have to... um, Uh, sort of laboriously go back through old Patreon posts to find it now. It's all going to be flag post, uh, signposted rather, on digitalfoundry.net. So yeah, really excited about this. Tons of retro stuff.
2: I was going to say next week, uh, mid, mid to late week, the new DF Retro should be out as well on Klonoa. So uh-huh. 40, 46 minutes done right now, you can check it out via that new web page, hopefully. Mm-hmm.
0: So it's gonna be you know really good stuff and um, just will give you extra value from supporting us simply because if you're a new supporter, you'll be able to easily tap into all of the stuff that we've done in the past and all the new stuff we are doing, it's just gonna be more readily uh, accessible. So it's good stuff. Um, the next uh, point I just wanna talk about is a friend of Digital Foundry, Amy Elgar, uh, is going to be streaming Half-Life 1 and 2 for 24 hours straight. Oof. Uh, I wouldn't want to do that. <laughs> Incredible. But it is in favour of a great <laughs> cause, Breast Cancer UK. Uh, there will be a URL at the bottom there. So please do donate. I have done so. Um, so, and yes, that's that's good stuff. So look out for that.
1: Uh, I'm just curious. Like, is, is it Half-Life One and all the expansions, and then Half-Life Two and all the expansions? Oh my god, uh, that would be and split screen on PlayStation Two, and yeah, and Uplink and all that. Yeah. Uplink the demo. Oh, yes. yeah.
2: You got blue so shift stuff. in there. You got. I may have to stuff. tune
1: in for a bit uh, if I find the time and uh, say hello because that is
0: incredible. I love First Half Life. It's a great game. I hope you haven't just made Amy's task a lot, you know, a forty-eight
2: hour stream. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
1: you need to cover every Half Life game. Amy. <laughs> well, if she, if she plays the
2: Xbox <laughs> version, you know, it's gonna get, <laughs> yeah. it's gonna it's gonna get crazy over there.
1: <laughs> Extend the time of that playthrough. Oh, my God. <laughs>
0: OK, let's move on to the final part of our show. It's our uh, Digital Foundry supporter Q&A. This is uh, where essentially every week we put out a call to questions to support us via Patreon to, um, you know, essentially uh, produce poses for us and we shall choose the best of them and talk about them on the show. And uh, the first one comes from Adam and uh, he has the impudence to actually have two questions. So let's get <laughs> straight into it. Hi, crew. Hope you're going well. Um, This week, I had two questions on my mind. Firstly, I've noticed that when announcing the episode number, Richard often seems highly amused as though he's (laughs) about to have a sensible chuckle. Is he shocked (laughs) that the show has run this long? Okay, well, let's just tackle that question. Uh, It is quite amusing to me because, uh, you know, when we started Digital Foundry, we had no intention of doing a show like this. Uh, We had no intention of producing any kind of personality led uh, hashtag content um it was kind of like a black box where you'd have inputs and outputs the input would be the game and the output would be the analysis um so the concept of actually arriving in front of a camera and talking you know off the cuff for an hour an hour and a half at times sometimes even longer is just kind of mind-boggling and i'm just surprised that this has proved as popular <laughs> as it has been i don't know what you make uh-huh. of that uh alex
1: Yeah, I mean, every single time I see the number, I just think like, "Oh my gosh, people have listened to me how many times?" Just blather, (laughs) you know. Like I, I, I do inform myself to make sure I say something while here, but I realize, you know, I'm just a guy. I'm just a, we're just normal men, you know, innocent men, as they say. <laughs>
0: yeah okay well let's get on with adam's second question to business uh secondly with the discontinued continuation of the xbox backwards compatibility program have you been given any indication whether this was predominantly for licensing reasons and slash or cost benefit showing it wasn't worth continuing or we're or were there some titles that face technical obstacles if so do you believe that dropping xbox one compatibility and focusing on series <laughs> S/X uh only would open the door to more titles becoming back compact because of the far more powerful cpus what do you reckon about this one john
2: um this is tricky i the, i think in the past they've said that they've done as much as they could with regards to the older stuff on 360 and Xbox. And I think it's less technical and more licensing driven at this point. Yeah. Uh, And as, as they noted here, um, but I, this, this is a tricky one. I think think it is licensing really, isn't it? Yeah. But if it was, I guess a big enough selling point, I'm fairly certain Microsoft could overcome those licensing issues. You know what I mean? I think they have actually,
1: Uh, uh,
0: yeah, I think they have actually where, you know sometimes removed some of the offending licensed material to get yeah, those games out
2: yeah right. that that's something that they can do is actually dig into these games and remove certain files and i know of games that they've attempted to do this on that didn't work and they were not able to re-release them as well so that's oh, wow. unfortunately not always feasible uh but yeah i i, I really wish they would revisit this because it's less about 360 i think is very well covered but i think the original xbox is not there is a ton of xbox games and it's an amazing system by the way there's a there's a ton of great stuff on the original xbox that is not covered at all by this program and i think i i can't believe that they've reached the limits of licensing on original xbox stuff specifically given how many other games exist for it. yeah right it's- especially now so, with Blizzard Activision going down, yeah. you know, like
1: that. There's a lot of Blizzard Activision or Activision titles on Xbox that could definitely make their way over. Um, that would be really nice to see actually. So I hope, I don't know. It's really hard to say if that'll mean action as soon as that's done, but the evidence on PC that they're at least dipping back into the catalog with these Oh right. half-hearted, uh, you know, um, microsoft store releases uh or insider program releases well maybe they'll do something similar on xbox
2: what whatever happened rich uh to the resolution boost thing (laughs) i think we come back to this every so often you know you and i we saw gears of war ultimate edition in xbox one game that's limited to 1080p running at native 4k on series x right and it looked very good yeah uh and then it just sort of quietly never happened yeah
0: i think um they went with a different direction, they went with FPS boost, and which is great, um, yeah, which but... is great. Um, and I did actually ask them whether you know we've seen this technology working, why can't you do both together for an Xbox 360 title? You should be able to do both together, right? Um, enhanced resolution, and we have actually seen that well, oh, they they
2: cases. do that actually already I'd say. in one or
0: two cases, so... yeah. Um, but in on an, on the Xbox Series side, they just decided to go with the resolution boost, and they told me that it's very difficult to get the two of them running side by side together but oh. mm, yeah i think um mm. well here we go going back to my original visit to microsoft in 2017 to see uh, project scorpio which became xbox one x um, i did actually speak to phil um, spencer about the, uh, the kind of the philosophy behind backwards compatibility and genuinely he just believes that your games should be able to move with you from one generation to the next and i don't think it's going to be as uh as adam suggests here uh a cost benefit calculation i think it's simply that they're not able to do it for whatever reason um so yeah i i think it's you know hopefully they can improve things there has been sort of you know occasional smatterings of new titles coming out but you know we're kind of reaching the point where i think they've probably exhausted the possibilities there but you know maybe think (laughs) i mean they were talking about licensing agreements on paper in somebody's drawer uh and they you know they just don't know whether they can actually do it and you know i guess what could happen is that somebody comes out of the, the woodwork demanding rights payments so it's not as if they can't you know it's not as if they can just put the games out there Maybe the route forward is simply, you know, emulation. You know, in that case, there's not much that can be done about that. Um, Let's move on to the next question from Concrete Llama. With the recent news about Microsoft magically freeing up more memory for developers to access on the Series X, S rather, I was wondering how far they can take it. Hypothetically, how would you feel about the console receiving the option of a compromised mode? With a catchy and catchier name that significantly reduces the OS features of the console, while games are running as a trade-off for improved performance and/or additional in-game features such as mm. ray tracing, would this even be possible? Hmm. I remember Microsoft did something similar on the Xbox One when they universally disabled the multitasking features. Well,
2: <laughs> so it sounds ah, like yes. Switch.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got some news for you, Concrete Llama, and it goes—it's um, kind of stuff I discovered in the wake of the announcement last week. Um, the, The principal question is that, you know, Microsoft announced hundreds of extra megabytes available to Xbox Series S developers. And I raised the question, well, why not just tell us how many hundreds? And the answer is pretty much exactly because of what you're suggesting here. There's a base. Again, I don't have the figures now, which is slightly frustrating. But there's a base level of extra memory that's been given to Series S just platform level optimizations. However, if a title doesn't use certain system level features, these can be disabled and the memory freed up and given back to the title. So the amount of hundreds of megabytes that is gifted to the series s changes according to the, de- uh, the development needs of the title.
2: Oh. So yeah, um, I so I would... we've actually seen this before. Uh, if you guys remember the PlayStation Vita, takes this approach uh if you boot up a number of titles it'll actually inform you in the upper corner that like such and such online features are not available for this game or have been disabled so they could actually shut off certain functionalities of the hardware uh when starting a game that demanded you know a little bit more from it and that was a way to sort of free it resources if they weren't going to use those functionalities and it sounds kind of similar here where it's like developers can seemingly say well we don't need these features so you know we'll just use the resources that they would have occupied otherwise
0: yeah mm-hmm. and that was cool i wonder there was the whole connect thing as well um where that that had its own um gpu overhead on the system which was which was removed
2: it's just a shame they never enabled the gpu and the power brick though <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i know what yeah. co- what I missed the opportunity.
0: And uh, the, the dual layer ES RAM, of course. All right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's move on to the next question. Kieran Welsh asks How much do you think that raid tracing will improve with gains in software efficiencies alone this generation? Will RT be unrecognizable on Series X and PlayStation 5, for instance? Good question, right, Alex, because we've already, I think, seen some uh, interesting. Gains in software efficiencies. You know, when you look at what Marvel Spider-Man was doing, that's really impressive for the level of compute they've got for that.
1: Yeah, I think it's uh, about leveraging uh, compromises in areas that do not uh, impede the game's visual like splendor. You know, like if you load up uh, the Matrix Awakens demo, which you can't download anymore, you can download um, it if you, you have it. The st- Yeah, that's right. You can't buy it anymore, or or you can't, whatever. You can't find it on the stores anymore. You can still download it. Um, Yes, but if you have that loaded up, if you look, the compromises are there. Uh, But the whole point is is that it's designing these systems so that the compromises don't become completely obvious. Now, one thing uh, that I do think will programmatically get better over time is um, in the background, uh, there's a lot of research going on into how to get the best, uh, essentially, visual result from sending the least amount of rays out. And there's a lot of, uh, actually, NVIDIA-led research here uh, regarding this, like the the quote-unquote invention of ReSTER, or Reservoir uh, Spatial Temporal Sampling, or kind of like going over time, using those samples in a much uh, more intelligent way, I think we're gonna see a bit of that uh, uh, on all platforms. And I think that's gonna have incredible trickle down uh, to the consoles themselves, where, you know, like Metro's initial implementation is incredible for the fact that it's 60 FPS, but leveraging technique ideas that came around two to three years later, maybe it could even be more incredible and or more performant or allow for new visual trickery in there as well too so that's where i think it's going to happen i don't i don't think there is nearly enough uh like at, at some point in the day you have to actually trace the race you, there's only so much you can do there <laughs> to to like make that cheaper i think there's like a hard limit there uh that's really apparent uh but i think that just the way we use these rays is really important mm-hmm. uh so i think that's going to change a lot
0: i mean you yeah, know Metro is an interesting point right because it Launched with RT, and then they launched the enhanced edition, which had the infinite bounce accumulation.
2: Yep, yep. <laughs> and yeah. it's
0: it's game changing. So yeah, yeah, and we are just at the beginning. Technique of Technique difference, yeah,
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah. So like, it's like uh, in the initial implementation, there is like, okay, so you have the ability to run it at half res checkerboarded and/or and or full res, and it does only one native bounce. Instead of storing other bounces in a world probe grid that then are traced back to. So, like, they changed what they did is like they used less rays overall, probably, but used them in a way that was more, um, not efficient, but use them in a way that would make it more obvious visually. Like, they're, 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 you know, that's what I think it's what it's about. It's like using the budget in a better way, mm-hmm. um, not actually making the budget b- bigger. I don't, I don't think I think that's really hard to do. <laughs> the other thing, like the micro optimization thing.
0: Yeah. Okay. Next question from Sloth. What are some of your favorite workarounds in retro games to create graphical effects such as reflections, shadows, etc.? That we now take for granted john
2: oh yeah there's so many that i love uh for instance i love the introduction of light maps in quake uh, which was yeah. like how can we do this complicated lighting in a 3d scene and well they found a nice workaround by essentially baking into textures and this kind of stuff is pretty you know it's a well-known thing now but at the time it was kind of revolutionary or uh the way reflections were often done where they essentially draw alternative geometry below the surface like metal gear solid 2 for instance does a great job with this where they essentially redraw the scene beneath but it's simplified and they use textures that have like sort of like alpha blended edges to like simulate like the look of a puddle or like a tile floor so you're seeing through to another part of the level but it's designed so it actually looks like a reflection and the way the Mm -hmm. artists then actually like create the textures and models under there it's like they're thinking about it of like well, this is what a, a reflection would distort this surface to make it look one way so we're we're actually going to draw the texture to look that way as if it was distorted underneath the floor uh, it's just really cool artistry there uh and you know of course there was stuff like rendering out textures which was super common during that era where essentially you apply you know you're essentially using a secondary camera to Uh, capture the scene and then sending that to a texture and then you apply that texture to a surface and you can use that to do some pretty slick uh, mirror effects and such like that Um, if you go back even more old school I love just the addition the, the introduction of like per scan line scrolling so like on the Mega Drive it only has like two layers for like parallax effects essentially that are independent but they can make parallax look a lot more in depth by using per scan line updates essentially to scroll it at different rates and then you could also combine that with like extra sprites on top of that to have overlapping parallax and then you get stuff like ranger x where they actually create the illusion of 3d by using a combination of just flat colors and line scrolling together which is really cool um there's the all on Metal Gear Solid again, another thing I love about MGS2 that you see when you start to break it apart is how so the cutscenes look amazing in that game, right? And if you looked at a lot of comparable games from that era, especially even on PC, like the cutscene quality was never even close. And part of the reason is that each sequence had its own bespoke room, and the rooms itself would be like completely like unfinished right it would only they would only model out exactly what the camera is going to show and then everything around it is just blank space and they could actually hop around to different little tiny dioramas that were specifically crafted for each angle so you get the impression that the camera's moving around all these different scenes but it's but it's just a bunch of these little tiny dioramas instead of just moving the camera within an already built environment uh and it looks amazing as a result but it's not you know it's not a coherent world that they've built for the cutscenes, but it was a way to get a lot of extra fidelity out of something at a time when you couldn't really just build the whole world and throw your camera around without it looking kind of janky so you know stuff like that always comes to mind i don't know about you guys what do you think
1: i think about the original doom and like duke nukem like i think the uh in doom uh like the hand-drawn like sector lighting of that look like stencil shadows it required a stupid amount of work, uh, but you could with that actually make surprisingly plausibly lit looking areas. It's completely manual. So like John was saying with the camera angles there with MGS two, like I'm thinking like, I would hate working on that. <laughs> it's just like, Oh, every single time we have to do another scene and we have to take out and blah. like, that'd be a lot of work. I imagine that that must've been uh slightly painful, uh, probably, of like making a doom map with a lot of lighting i also think in doom uh you know subtle things but just like the way the the sectors uh flash color when like a like when a muzzle flash occurs like they didn't have to do that and basically very few games at that time did do that if at all so it made the game look surprisingly just like lighting was occurring even though it's not and i I think that was really interesting and then Duke Nukem, I've always been a a really big fan of like how uh, that game, in spite of being 2.5D, looks more 3D than you would imagine uh, at times, like when you jump up uh, on like the first uh, first level, for example. Uh, in Hollywood Holocaust, like you jump up into that area on the building and go in the room, and you're looking down at the street below. I actually think it doesn't break the illusion so bad in in there as it does in other uh, 2.5D games or Raycaster games. Uh, And also there, I, I really like the... Uh, the first time you see a building fall down, or like it, it like compresses the building, but it, you the illusion is there of like a building actually coming down. Oh, uh, yeah, I love yeah that. like when the, when the earthquakes occur. Dude, so uh,
2: that's the stuff I think about. What about uh, Doom 64? There's a level halfway through the game that actually creates convincing bridges, right? Where you doom can't do that normally but they came up with some weird sector trick to allow to give the illusion of the player. If you go into a room, you're going over something. But then if you go back out, you can walk under that same path. You're not actually walking under it, but it the way it's built and works makes it look like you're walking under a bridge. And that was like mind blowing. Like, and that's just, you know, doom 64, maybe doom 64, but it's still the doom kind of technology. It has the same limits.
1: Yeah. It's really cool. Like, I can't even imagine like purposely putting in teleporters in places to try and make <laughs> things look like 3D objects. What you like you try. it's like when you go up Doom's uh, second level, you go up the stairs. There's like trickery there too as well, but you're just not
2: really noticing it. Um I, f- I find that I guess it's really the same impressive. with a Do Nukem 3D Hollywood Holocaust when you jump through that air vent at the beginning, right? Yeah, like, like it, uh, it makes it feel like you're on ground. top of a building and you're going down through a tunnel, but it's not actually that. That's not that. That that's really fun. Uh one thing
1: I was wondering about
2: that came to my
1: mind right when this question was posed is I'm thinking of Ocarina of Time and like Link's um like shadows like on his feet oh, that change yeah. position. I've never really learned how that's done. I need um, to look into and that's that. That's interesting. That's really yeah, interesting. It's like two know. little
2: like maybe just a texture, a couple little projected yeah. things. They but almost it's not like stretched, full a little bit. Yeah. Right, they're not drawing a full shadow, right? It's just, but it's convincing. It kind of grounds them yeah. in the world. Or even the water trick in that game, where the water always looked really good in that, but it's just two texture layers sort of, like, uh, scrolling on top of one another. But because of the low resolution of N64, uh, from a distance, it ends up looking like this super smooth water animation.
0: Good stuff. Uh, let's move on to the final question. Try and do this one quite quickly. Uncomfortable username asks, uh, having <laughs> Spider-Man God of War and even Horizon Zero Dawn on the go with the Steam Deck is honestly a huge selling point for me. However, it really has me thinking of the likelihood of another PlayStation Portable. Yes, the Vita didn't have much of a life. ha. <laughs> but portable gaming in general lost a lot of ground to mobile gaming at the time. In a post-Switch environment where portability can indeed be a selling point, also reaffirmed with the popularity of the Steam Deck, do you think Sony would ever re-enter the portable Mm. market with new hardware? Mm -hmm. Or do you think they are perfectly happy with just the Steam Deck? This is a really tricky one, right? Because um, in many ways, Steam Deck and um, uh, even Switch, to a certain extent, kind of validated PlayStation Vita. in terms of what it actually delivered. I don't think Sony are going to do this um, simply because they've got two platforms upcoming already, uh, three if you include PC. They have PlayStation, they have uh, the VR headset. I just don't think there's room. And also maybe there's, there's, well, there is definitely the concept of having to um, split your development effort to produce those games for those lower end platforms. The Steam Deck just kind of, you know, either it works or it doesn't really on those titles, um, but it's kind of, it seems they've left it to the PC space. Any thoughts on this one, John? Because you love the uh,
2: the Vita, as we do yeah, we all. Yeah, it's a great little system. Yeah, uh, you can actually see some Vita games over there on the shelf. Um, so I, I agree with you. I don't think that they're gonna attempt it again and i would think that part of the problem is the development resource thing where this is this is what nintendo solved with the switch right where they unified all their development studios to work on a single platform because for years they were divided between console and handheld and that worked up until the point that handheld games became too complex i would say like the 3ds era when all of a sudden the development process is now a lot more complicated than it used to be versus like say if you're making a gba game during the gamecube era those are two very different things in terms of the scale of development so the switch saved them there with psvr and the pc stuff and you know their main consoles it feels like they would be stretching their themselves too thin especially that they've shut down so many great internal development studios in the past few years i mean which is that still disappoints me to this day, of course. So uh, I just don't know if they if they want to give it a shot. And I, I think he has a point about the mobile gaming situation around the time of the Vita's launch. Mobile gaming was kind of like eating everyone's lunch. And now it's just kind of found its own area that can coexist with the more traditional game consoles. But Vita did not survive that. Um, so, and Sony itself didn't support the Vita that well. I would argue beyond the first year they just kind of gave up on it real quick and even the developers that produced truly exceptional games uh like the developers of Wipeout the studio Liverpool they made Wipeout 2048 on there and then for the the reward for doing such a great game was we're gonna shut you down that sucks (laughs) Jesus
0: (laughs) yeah I mean I am looking at Steam Deck though and do wonder that you know if it had a dedicated development environment to the metal access to the silicon what could mm. actually be done with it because you can see that you know switch is punching above its weight simply because of those benefits yeah uh,
2: when you ver- look at switch versus the tegra based products from nvidia right night and they day were difference. much worse in terms of performance so if steam deck
0: games. is doing what it's doing you yeah. know through all of those um, abstraction layers That's really impressive. And you have to wonder what it could do. But, you know, I don't think Sony would release hardware like the Steam Deck that's got relatively short battery life and is massive. (laughs) Um, But, you know, process shrink, one or two of those and it's back into contention. But I don't know. the question is really how long steam deck is going to last uh in terms of running sort of proper next gen games that's still the big question really there yeah
2: because we're still in cross-gen period right absolutely so yeah. uh, especially if you have something like metro exodus right if we have more games come along where it's like oh it requires ray tracing well the enhanced edition anyway mm-hmm. can't mm-hmm. run that on the deck so
0: interesting question though
2: unreal engine 5
0: right <laughs> unreal like, engine, that just what doesn't do particularly well it doesn't really function on the steam Deck, (laughs) which is is a problem
1: but hey you know they're you know epic said they're working on like cpu related issues and also stator shader comp issues so maybe the deck will get better over time Mm -hmm. we'll see
0: absolutely okay well that's the end of the show so please do like subscribe share if you enjoyed the content ring the bell for those notionally instant notifications no guarantees on that as usual uh, that is my disclaimer <laughs> a DF Supporter Programme new site next week tons of bonus material you'll be able to see it all. I mean even if you aren't subscribed at least you'll be able to see what we've done on the unsigned in view even if you won't be able to watch it so you'll get a flavour of everything that we can offer there and of course there is the Supporter QA, early access um, and all of the rest and some amazing retro stuff and hopefully yeah John that new episode should be dropping next week for yep, Retro Supporters next week Okay, so yeah much to much to look at there. That's all from us for now. Thanks for watching.